The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I thought we'd start this afternoon by, um, again, having a little bit of an elaboration on some of the suggestions I made this morning for practice. I mentioned checking the attitude. That's one piece I want to talk about. And, and another one I wanted to, to check in about uh, this morning in the, in the, um, the questions before lunch a question came up around working with difficulty and particular pain. And so I talked generally about that side of working with difficulty, um, using something to step away from it if it's too sticky. Uh, but there's another, another aspect of working with difficulty that I want to touch into today, s- this afternoon. So those are the two pieces I'll, I'll um, talk about for a little while and then see if there's a few questions perhaps and then we'll have a sitting again. So, um, regarding checking the attitude, checking the relationship, uh, you know, it, it can be useful actually to find a word that means that relationship to you. Um, sometimes the word attitude doesn't resonate or relationship even feels a little bit abstract or something. And so there, there may be something else. Sometimes I, I just check in, you know, well, how am I with this? Or sometimes even, even more broadly, uh, even it can be this, can, this kind of checking can be even broader than the attitude. It's just like, well, what else is going on? And so there's, there's something happening here. And um, you know, so for in, one, one example of this was um, I was driving one afternoon and um, my kept finding my mind spinning out into planning, thinking about the future, and it was, it was kind of tumbling forward, and it wasn't ple- pleasant. It was, it was pretty agitated thinking about the, the future, and initially I just like, okay, yep, I know I'm planning, that's, that's tumbling forward, come back to the present moment, and I was just, you know, checking into being present with my hands on the steering wheel and present for the driving. But it kept happening, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a repeated pattern that kept happening over the course of a few minutes. And so I began to get curious about more, what was going on? And um, the question that arose in my mind at that point was, what else is happening here? What else is going on? And the, uh, what was immediately clearly obvious which I had not seen, did, was completely unaware of before I checked into this, was that I was really happy. That was not what I expected because the tumbling forward was kind of agitated. But as I looked at what was happening and saw the happiness, I saw that, the, that what was going on was the mind was uh, responding to the happiness with this kind of sense or holding on to it. How can I make sure that I keep this happiness? And that resulted in this kind of tumbling forward. And so sometimes just the simple question of when there's something repeated happening, I talked about good times, maybe there's some good times to check the relationship, check out what's happening uh, in the relationship, is if there's something that kind of keeps coming up over and over again. You, You notice it, 
kind of feel like, wow, you know, okay, well, that's what's happening. But you don't particularly sense something challenging about it or anything and just kind of like come back to body or whatever seems obvious in the moment. Sometimes if it keeps repeating, there's something in the mind that is maybe just under the surface that hasn't been seen yet. And a question like, what's my relationship to this? Or what else is happening can reveal something that's just below the surface. And so that's one good time to check, uh, to check the relationship to experience. I mentioned that um, initially it's helpful to check the relationship to your experience. Occasionally, I said every few minutes. But, um, and that over time we begin to kind of intuitively know when to check the attitude or, or it just becomes a part of the practice. It's not something we have to think about so much. And so this is one of those times that I found was really useful. If there was something that kind of came up repeatedly where like, I wasn't so sure what was going on about it, like, that's a good time to check the attitude with respect to that experience. Now, if I had simply in that case, so, so there's some, some different pieces here, if I'd simply checked the attitude about the tumbling forward, probably it wouldn't have been, I'm happy about that. It would have been, I'm frustrated or resistant or confused or something like that. And so in this case, the broader question of what else is happening here was actually really valuable because it kind of broadened the mind to kind of look at things that it might not think of looking at. And for me, just dropping in that question was, Uh, the thing that revealed the happiness. I did not have to go looking for it. It's like I didn't drop in that question and go, okay, let me see, what else is happening here? In fact, that kind of effort to look can get in the way of seeing something that's just below the surface of our conscious awareness. So that's one good time to check your relationship to experience or check this broader question of what else is happening here. If there's something repeated coming up, Another good time to check um, the relationship to experience is if there's some kind of, if it feels like you're struggling with the meditation, if it feels like it's hard to meditate or there's some kind of challenge in, in being with the experience or you feel like you're forcing yourself to be with something, that's a good time to check in to the attitude, the relationship. In that kind of situation, I often find there's something happening that I don't like, and I'm maybe trying to force myself to be present for it, or maybe I'm working too hard in the investigation and the mind is getting exhausted. And so there's, there's a number of, of things that can be happening when it feels like there's a struggle in the meditation, that it's hard to be, hard to be meditating, check in. Sometimes it means like we're working too hard. Sometimes it means like there's too much effort happening. Sometimes it can mean that there's not enough uh, connection to experience. So that's, that's a good time to check in. Uh, another um, interesting time to check in to the, to the relationship to, to experience is if it feels like it's going really well. If it feels like there's not a struggle, but it kind of feels really smooth and easy. Um, now this, in my experience, this kind of exploration has been really interesting partly uh, there's there's two kind of maybe flavors we could run into here one uh, if it feels like it's going really well 
we might notice the relationship to that, something like, wow, I've got it figured out. I know how to do this. Kind of patting ourselves on the back kind of mentality. That could be one flavor and kind of in the same category as like um, uh, almost a kind of a leaning in or, or trying to make this uh, kind of practice continue. So a little bit of greed, a little bit of holding on to the state. Those can be really subtle. I mean, I at one point on a, a retreat with Saito Uteshaniya when I was in Burma, um, he may have suggested that I occasionally check the attitude when things were going well, because I did in this day. And it was, you know, it was like there was so much ease and peace and clarity in the mind. And, uh, and at some point it was like, oh, well, let's check the attitude. Let's see what's happening here. And it, that revealed that there was this subtle kind of engagement to keep this happening that was based on kind of a, an idea that this needed to keep happening. So there was some greed there. And then I noticed that, and that greed kind of fell away. And then the next attitude that was revealed, and, and this wasn't, at that point it wasn't a question to say, well, what's my attitude now? It was just like, as that kind of trying to make it continue, that effort to make it continue, relaxed, what arose next was a fear that it wouldn't continue. So that was the next thing I got to see. And then seeing that, there was this like, wow, this is so cool, you know. I had no idea those were there. I, I, it, was, it was like they were so subtle underground that I, I was unaware that there were these subtle movements of, of fear and, and trying that were kind of in the mind while I was meditating because the mind was at a very, you know, peaceful place. And so gratitude was the next thing that arose that this practice could uncover things that I would never expect to see. So that, that was, that's kind of one kind of flavor that can happen if you check into the relationship, the attitude, when it feels like things are going well. You may find some very subtle greed, aversion, delusion in the mix. The other side of this is that when you check in, when it's, it feels like it's going really well, um, what you may get to see or really taste are the different flavors of the qualities of mind that are wholesome and beautiful and supportive of the meditation, these qualities that the Buddha, that, 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 um, that Saito Tejaniya connected with what he called right attitude or wise attitude, the qualities connected with that mind that, that is like, yeah, this is no problem. The flavor of no problem can seem pretty neutral in some ways. And we might not even notice it. You know, if it feels like things are rolling along without much problem, we might not even consciously notice no problem is happening. And so the checking of the attitude when it feels like it's going smoothly can help us to recognize these, the experience of these subtle, wholesome qualities of mind. Or it can bring it into consciousness that these wholesome qualities of mind are actually present right now. So... Um, feeling like it's going well, you might check in. Okay, well, yeah, it feels like no problem. Okay, so what is that like? What is it like? What is it like to be in the state of no problem? Oh, there's a, there's kind of a, a sense of ease and relaxation in the system that's pleasant that I didn't notice before. 
Or there's um, maybe some other, other flavors in the mind, like curiosity, interest. The mind feels alive and delighted. Or maybe there's joy there in this place of no problem. And so what, what I've seen around the checking in this place of it's going well, sometimes we can also begin to touch into the experience of wholesome qualities that can be very subtle and that we don't often, like, that, that don't often bubble up. We, we more orient to the challenging things. We orient to the greed, the aversion, the delusion. We orient to what's hard. And here, this is like helping the mind to connect with the wholesome qualities that are coming along as we do this practice. So those are a few pieces around um, checking the attitude. The other piece that I wanted to to bring in is um, you know, sometimes we feel like there's a little bit of a struggle in meditation when states arise that we feel like hard to be mindful with that state, sleepiness, restlessness, that kind of thing. Um, And so this is a little different than reactivity. Um, You know, we might be reactive about being sleepy, but the sleepiness itself doesn't feel like reactivity. It's just the state of the mind. But we might have the attitude or the view that, well, this sleepiness is a problem because I'm trying to meditate and I can't meditate while I'm sleepy. So this is, a, this is another flavor, another category of challenge or difficulty that I want to speak to. Um, the first piece I'll say is, if there's ever a state of mind where you have the thought, I can't be mindful while this is happening. I can't be mindful while I'm sleepy. I can't be mindful while the mind is jumping all over the place. I can't be mindful while whatever. While I'm spacing out. I can't be mindful while I'm bored. Whatever it is. I need to make it interesting in order to be mindful of it. Um, If you have that thought... I'd like to suggest that if you are thinking that thought and know you're thinking that thought, that you are already aware of the thing you think you can't be aware of. There's already a kind of a knowing or a recognition or connection. I can't be mindful while sleepy. There's already a knowing of sleepiness. And so you do have the possibility. There is the possibility of being mindful while these states are happening. Most of the challenge there is the belief or the view that it's not possible to be mindful, that we inherently feel like certain states of mind are problematic, that certain states of mind mean that I'm not mindful. I would say that there are certain states of mind where we are habitually not mindful, sleepiness being one of those. We get sleepy, habitually the mind kind of checks out and drifts off, is not present. Uh, Spacing out, likewise. The mind is kind of drifting out of the present moment and just kind of in some zone somewhere, not necessarily sleepy, but not connected. And we might feel like these states are inherently 
not mindful, that they are inherently, that it's inherently not possible to be mindful while in those states. And so the state has to change in order for mindfulness to be present. And what I would like to say is that is not true. I would say the only state or the only experience in the mind that it's not possible to be mindful of in the moment is non-mindfulness. And that we can even kind of be aware of as mindfulness returns. We, as mindfulness returns, we can be aware a little bit of the lingering flavor of what it was like not to be mindful in the moments before. But regardless of you know, that, non-mindfulness can arise in many states of mind. It can arise, uh, the, that, that um, or mindfulness cannot arise with many states of mind. It might not arise with sleepiness, or it might not arise with spacing out, or it might not arise with thinking. But those states of thinking or spacing out or sleepiness are not inherently already non-mindful. It's more the habit of non-mindfulness. And so this is a piece that um, I just want to point to because the practice that we're doing here, which is, well, what is it like to know that I'm sleepy. You know, that, that's what the question is. Am I aware? Well, yeah, I'm aware. Knowing sleepiness. Knowing resistance to sleepiness. If we can know that, we can know the resistance to sleepiness, maybe that resistance falls away. Then we get the sense of what it's like to actually be mindful of the sleepiness itself. It is possible. Way more possible than I certainly could have ever imagined to be mindful while sleepy. On one retreat I was doing lying meditation and there was a lot of low energy and um, noticing that as I tried to be, you know, tried to pull myself out of that low energy state, it created a lot of agitation in the mind. My question was, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a way to come at being aware of this really low energy state, of this state that the mind is just sinking into sleepiness. And so that was my question. That was my practice. How can I connect with this low energy experience? What is it like? What's the body like? What's the mind like? And on that retreat, there was the discovery that the mind could be present all the way into falling asleep. It can be present into a dream. From waking through falling asleep into a dream and be aware in that dream. It's like, really? Is this really possible? So this, this, is, this is one of those experiences that I had, and you know, this is not a common experience for me on retreat. It happened on that retreat. It's, so it's not something that happens repeatedly. But it did give me such confidence in the capacity of mindfulness to meet any experience, whatever it is. And so this is the question. Am I aware? Do I have a belief it's not possible to be mindful of this? Can I set that aside? That's, that's been my practice a lot. If I have that thought, I can't be mindful while X, it's like, I don't believe that thought anymore. It's more along the lines of, okay, X is happening and the habit is not to be mindful, so how can I support conditions that will allow the mind to begin to connect with that experience. And the first thing to do is to stop resisting the experience and, and just play with the edges. 
And so one of the playing with the edges means to me is letting myself go into that state, potentially even lose mindfulness. But kind of being curious, okay, so yeah, I'm aware, I'm mindful, I know, perhaps I feel like this feeling of like mind, body getting really heavy as the mind starts to get sleepy, so knowing that, and then, you know, feeling like the mind start to fall, and then, then I'm asleep. Okay, then I'm, I'm awake because I fell, and that woke me up, so I sit up, and I just try it again. I don't, I didn't try to stop the sleepiness, I just like, was like, okay, well, how far can the mindfulness ride the, this wave of sleepiness? Whoop, lost that one. Okay, well, now I'm awake again. Let's try again. And just play with those edges. What, I saw, what I've seen is that when we play with the edges without resistance, it's like the mindfulness gets more familiar, more and more familiar with that state and can learn how to be with it. On that first one that I talked about, the first time I tried this, I was on a uh, one of my early retreats, and um, it was a yeah, it was an after lunch sitting, and I was sitting up, and so every time I fell asleep, I would do this, so that woke me up. So I just like let that happen over and over again. By the end of that sitting, it was about a forty-five minute sitting, I think. The mind, the mindfulness was so attuned to the quality of the of the mind as it was like falling. There's a kind of an experience of dropping as the mind falls asleep. It was, it was able to kind of follow that, that dropping feeling. And it knew, the mind knew, like right before I was going to fall over. And knowing that, I could just like straighten my spine a little bit. That would add a little tiny bit of energy into the system. And then I'd relax and i just let it happen over and over again. And so in that sitting, first, it, first from the outside, first the sitting looked something like this. And then it started looking like this. And there was a lot of mindfulness in that time. Even in the earlier part of the sitting, as I was just watching it drop, not having resistance to the dropping, the times I wasn't mindful were those, like, second of the falling. You know, so it was like, there was a lot of mindfulness being cultivated in that, in that time. And so, really, I tell this story to encourage you to play with your mind states, to play with those places where it feels like, oh, can't be mindful while doing that. There's a lot to learn at these edges of our mind, a lot to learn at these edges of the places where we have the habit of non-mindfulness. And if we approach it in a playful way, it can actually be fun. If we're not resisting or feeling like there's a problem or there's something wrong with the state of mind inherently, there's a lot of fun that, that we can have. Actually, that sitting, when I finished that sitting, I, the way I described it to, to one of my friends was like, that was like the best ride in Disneyland. It was like an e-ticket ride. It was so much fun to watch the mind go through these experiences. So, 
Um, so those are a couple pieces around uh, working with difficulty. Sometimes we might have the idea, so this morning I talked about working with the difficulty where it feels like you know, the mind is getting sucked into it and reinforcing a particular habit or pattern and what to do, how to step away from that. So this is a, a, a kind of difficulty that the issue is probably more that you think it's not possible to be mindful or you think that it's a problem, this state is a problem. And so I'm asking to just kind of check, can you be mindful while sleepy or spacing out? There's more capacity that we have in this area than you think. And when I finally kind of let go of the the beliefs about it, there was much more available mindfulness than I thought there would be. So... um, we can just take a couple minutes for comments or questions if there's anything. Yeah, and then where are the, the mics? Okay, there's one. Is there another one? Oh, there it is. Okay. So I just think this is such an important conversation to have because I don't think I really, you know, people talk about the second arrow a lot. I never really understood the difference between like suffering and the second arrow. Like, and I think that's what you're talking about is there's the experience and then there's my attitude about the experience, which is causing the suffering, which you exactly very yes. nicely said this morning. But, um, and that, that second arrow, in this case, the second arrow is more like a view, a belief. And this is a form of delusion. You know, people often ask about, well, how do we know delusion? You know, it's like we don't necessarily think it's aversion. I mean, it may or may not be aversion. It could be that that a belief that I can't be mindful while sleepy is aversion. But it also just could be what we've grown up believing. You know, that this is, this is where I'm not aware. And so it's not particularly aversive. It's just, in fact, we might, we might the aversion might come out of the belief you know, it's like, I believe I can't be mindful while I'm sleepy, and so I'm averse to, to being sleepy. So the belief, beliefs are a kind of a, a in-between greed and aversion thing. You know, it's like, uh, and, and that's an, another important kind of attitude that really shapes the suffering. It's really important, yeah. Yeah, and I, feel, I can feel it, like I felt this morning, um, a lot of aversion, and then a, like a checkout. Like, and I, f- I could I could be mindful of both. But I think then I would check out, and then I'd get lost in thought. But I could see the you could see it kind of moving there. Yeah, yeah. and then I got lost in thought, and then I came back, and then I could see you know I could trace it back. Uh huh. Yeah. So it and it's it's helpful to see that. And I guess I would I'm only speaking from my own experience. I think sometimes it's important to be careful with that too, and sometimes it's not appropriate. There's some things that maybe aren't appropriate, and I just what I felt this morning was is this is something I need to be a little bit careful with and put some compassion on and maybe have presence with for a little and let it go. Yeah, and that's and where I was back. talking about you know certain states of mind are sticky enough that we don't necessarily want to engage with them, mm-hmm. and so we need to learn that for ourselves mm-hmm. what those places are. And so, you know, for some people it might be that some of these states are, you know, the states like of sleepiness or spacing out are, are things that we'd want to take care with being mindful of. But that, so that's something we can learn. Is it like trying to be with it? Is it creating a, a whirlpool of like reactivity? Then it's not so helpful. 
So we do need to be careful with that, and that's why I talked about that part this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, yes. Yeah, and I guess I'm curious, like, it feels like, like Buddhism doesn't really talk about all the mind states, do they, really? They, they don't talk about maybe distress or um, maybe they talk a little bit about anger, but some of the... Um, well, I think a lot of these states of mind, I don't think, I mean, there's, there's certain places in the suttas where the Buddha kind of names a whole bunch of different kinds of mind states. There's a, whole, yeah, there's a list for that. It's not exhaustive, um, but at the same time, you know, Sayadaw actually says that, you know, all of those reactive states are just different combinations of greed, aversion, and delusion. And so in a certain way, we do talk about it all. And so if there's a particular flavor of frustration or distress or anxiety or something that is for you a kind of a, a familiar conditioned suffering, then being aware of that and maybe beginning to recognize the flavors of beliefs that are connected to it, the way greed comes into it, the way aversion comes into it, that will be, that will be supportive. So I would say that um, all experience is part of our exploration in the practice. Um, I think there may be just too many to actually name, but whatever it is, mindfulness can support you if, if you can be with it. You know, so that, and that's the place. To, you know, can I be with this without getting sucked into it? If I'm getting sucked into it, then yeah, maybe not the time. This may not be the time to be looking at that like I did with my anger. You know, yeah, put my attention on my feet because it was so strong. So that, that's a wisdom, that's a piece of wisdom that each of us has to learn. And, and in conversation with people, I can often support them. It's like, well, yeah, maybe not right now. Maybe that's not the thing you want to be paying attention to right now. Or sometimes I can see, hmm, I think you have a little more capacity than you're giving yourself credit for. <laughs> so, so yeah, but, but it does take a little bit more um, nuanced understanding. And I would say trust yourself. You know, trust yourself there. Yeah. Well, maybe it's important to, to look at that belief too first. Like the belief that I can't be with it might not be right. Yes. And it, yes, it, it might not be right. And it also might be a kind of wisdom that's saying, yeah, that one's dangerous. So, you know, it's like it's not necessarily giving you bad information. So you do need to kind of check that out for yourself. Yeah. Thanks. Anything else? Yeah. I've heard you talk about 50-50 mindfulness in this case, and I was wondering if, if that's what we're addressing or is, if that's separate. Um, you mean in terms of looking at the attitude? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 50-50 mindfulness can come into play in a way, although there because you're looking at something, you're noticing something, and you're also noticing the attitude towards it. Sometimes it is kind of almost like the attention knows both. Um, So in a way that could be a a form of the 50-50 mindfulness. Usually when I use that phrase, Sayadaw made that phrase up, Sayadaw Utejaniya made that phrase up, in connection with um, engagement with the content in the world. So for instance, reading the newspaper, Um, we might think mindfulness means just paying attention to what I'm experiencing. 
Um, but what the 50-50 mindfulness is pointing to is actually we can be aware and mindful of kind of the content of what's happening in the world. So the content of the news, aware of the, the concepts, aware of the ideas that are being expressed, and then how they are affecting me. And so there's the kind of the external and the internal there, you know, aware of what's going on in the world and how that is in relationship to me. And so that that may or may not be attitude. It might just be, oh yeah, that headline, wow, that comes up. You know, that that surge of whatever, <laughs> that surge of, of anxiety or that surge of frustration arises. And then there may be an attitude in relationship to that. But um, I think the 50-50 mindfulness that I talk about is is often in connection with the engagement with the world so that we're not thinking about mindfulness as just being closing our eyes and turning internally, but that we can actually meet content, we can meet thoughts, we can have conversations. So, you know, it's like being involved in a conversation with somebody. It's not just about, well, how does my body feel? And it's, it's understanding the content, understanding something perhaps about uh, so the the external would be noticing the other person's demeanor, noticing the way they're speaking, how they're what the, what they're expressing, and how all of that lands. So that it, that's that's the that's more what that fifty fifty is mentioning. Yeah, thanks. But I do know know which, why you would say that. You know, because there is a kind of um, when we notice the attitude. Like I know, I know that. I have this pain in my leg and I know the frustration and the tension that are arising in relationship to that. It's not like the pain in the, the pain in the leg goes away and that I'm not noticing that anymore. I'm only noticing. It's like I haven't turned my attention from that to this. It's like they're both there. It's like the attention has broadened to include something new. So it, it, there is a kind of sense of the mindfulness expanding to hold more and more in this practice. And not so much that mindfulness means focus on one thing and focus on the next thing and focus on the next thing. This kind of practice brings in the kind of mindfulness that's very broad and knowing many things simultaneously is the experience. And so I can kind of see why you would say that, 50-50 for that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I'm not sure the mic is on. This. Just on the side. Just under the white, the white label. Sorry. I noticed earlier when you talked about tension, um, or there was a question about tension, um, that everything was about the way we um, look at it. But there was no, nothing about trying to adjust, for example, our posture. So I was wondering what you think about that because I, for example, I have a pain in my knee so at a certain point it makes sense for me to stretch my leg. Yes. So um, so what I would say is like for exam- example with pain or, you know, again, this is a kind of a checking into when is it time to make an adjustment. So in, I talked about it in the mind, it might be time to make an adjustment when the mind can no longer be present with something so let me put my attention someplace else. And so it's a kind of a similar process that we can go through with respect to physical adjustments in our body. Uh, I would encourage a a kind of an exploration, first of all, 
Um, okay, so that's happening, and can I be with it? With the mind being somewhat balanced. Okay, yep, there's some aversion. Maybe we feel the aversion rise. And then we're, we're seeing as the aversion rises, the feeling of the entire experience getting more and more painful. And maybe knowing the aversion, we see the aversion kind of go up and down a little bit. And we notice the relationship between the way the mind feels like, I have to move right now, that that gets stronger when there's more aversion. And as the mind gets less averse, it's, it's like, wow, you know, actually some of the idea that I have to move has to do with the idea that it's going to get worse. It's not actually that bad right now. So, so you know, we begin to see where the mind is adding layers to things. And so I would encourage a little bit of playing with noticing the, the painful experience and the relationship to it. But at the beginning of this whole, of the whole thing, Sayadaw says, you know, uh, he says, just remind yourself at any point, if it gets too hard, that you can move. That sometimes can take some of the pressure off the mind, thinking, I have to just stay here, bear my way through it, to give it more flexibility to do this investigation, to see how things change as the aversion goes up and down, as the beliefs come in and out around what's going on. So, you, you, so I'd encourage a little bit of investigation, check into the actual physical sensations versus the mind's idea of how much of a problem it is, and um, at some point, it may get to the place where it's like, okay, had enough. Then it's, you know, it's fine to move. But what I will encourage is move mindfully. So know when you've made that choice. Be aware. You know, you're sitting there. At some point, there's a choice in the mind. I'm going to move. That's an intention that's arising. It's like, this is an important piece too in terms of seeing how our minds function. That if we can see the mind making a choice to do something before we've done it, there's, a, there's more freedom there. We can actually choose. Are we, we, we going to follow through on that because it feels skillful? Or are we reacting and just kind of automatically being dragged by that kind of belief that I have to do something? So seeing that intention... Making the choice, yes, it feels like right now the compassionate thing to do is to move. And so then there's the choice. You've made the choice to move. So the intention arose. Then there's the conscious choice to follow that intention. And then there's, you know, the movements that follow. And we can be aware of all of this. So I sometimes found it fun to play with this by, you know, when I moved. It's like, okay, I'm still right now. So... And then again, you know, kind of like letting the body do the process of movement. It'd be like, okay, body, the body's going to move to adjust this painful sensation. What's the first part of the body that actually moves to make that adjustment? And, and I'd sometimes be surprised, you know, if it's the knee that's hurting. I'd be surprised to see the first thing that, that moved was my hand. It's like, okay, why is the hand moving? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, to lean on it so that I can shift my weight. So just be curious about the whole process. Nothing is out of bounds in terms of mindfulness. And yes, it's fine to move and make that choice, but I would encourage a little bit of playing with the watching. I mean, a little bit of the, I can't be mindful of this, or this is, this is something, um, this, this pain is going to damage my body or something. You know, there's some belief there. So let yourself kind of check that out, even for, you know, a couple minutes.
probably a couple minutes is not going to damage your body. So just um, see if you can play with it around the looking at the aversion there for a couple minutes. But then when you're ready to move, and that's fine, move mindfully. Yeah, thanks for the question. So let's do another sitting.